Thank you for joining us on the New Milford Youth Agency podcast from YA Media. We are your hosts, Dylan Thomas, Annabelle Colonna, and Sierra Lynch. Today we are interviewing Mayor Pete Bass with our special guest hosts, uh, Connor Martinelli, Lucy Jackson, and myself, Gianna Militano. So to start off, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm sure most people know you who are listening. Sure. My name is Pete Bass. I'm the mayor of the town in New Milford, Connecticut. Best town in the U.S. <laughs> yep. That's true. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your job. What is it like to be mayor and what does a normal day look like for you? So it's a, I think myself, it's the best job to have. You get to help people. And because we're in local government, the impact of how you can help is very substantial. So we have this local government, you're interacting with people right then and there rather than state or federal where it's more overseen. Where here it's you're directly impacting people. So I love that. How kind of day-to-day operation, I usually get up about 4.35 in the morning. I'll do some emails, uh, answer some constituent things, uh, kind of talk to uh, uh, some day before stuff that may have I may not been able to get to the previous day. And then uh, start my days by bringing my daughters to high school, right? Mm-hmm. And then I begin my day at uh, actually town hall, uh, talking to our department heads, employees, uh, talking to uh, town council members sometimes, talk to department heads, talk to residents who call with an issue or a congratulations to somebody that did something extra special. So it's a very uh, hectic day. But it's great because you can make such an impact. Interesting. Yeah, I absolutely respect the humanitarian aspect of your job. It really, I think, allows you to connect with the community in a better way, especially your perspective as both a parent and a mayor. So where are we at in terms of COVID right now? So currently where we are in COVID, um, we're still, as we're all sitting here wearing masks, uh, when May 19th rolls around, Governor Lamont now is, will be issuing, uh, really pulling back a lot of his executive orders. The only thing that will be left will be wearing masks inside. Everything else will be as it was previous to COVID. So there'll be no more six foot distancing. There'll be no more you know, uh, occupancy issues. It'll just be as it was before. Now with that being said, we're still gonna tell the community to do the right things. So that's to continue practicing your hand hygiene. Mm-hmm. If you're not feeling well, uh, as I tell uh, residents and employees, if you're not feeling well, stay home. Mm-hmm. You have a sore throat, you got a cough, stay home. If you're going to school, you're not feeling well, stay home. All in efforts just to continue, because there's still going to be COVID, to continue to practice those things. The good news is we have vaccines now. And the great news is, is probably within the next couple weeks, we are going to be able to vaccinate here in our clinic right here in John Pennybone, 12 to 15-year-olds as well. Oh. So that's going to be a great thing as we're continuing to get more and more of our residents here in New Milford vaccinated. Why that's so important, obviously, is especially for people that have underlying conditions. So those are the ones that when COVID did hit, it was very, very hard. We had 32 people in New Milford die due to COVID mainly older, they had other underlying conditions. So not only are we protecting ourselves, we're protecting the elderly. We're protecting those that have special needs when it comes to their medical history. So we're all doing this as a community to protect one another. The good news, as I talked about a little bit before, is with the vaccines, it's been able to drop our numbers down. 
Uh, I give out numbers every day on our so on my social site, Facebook page. And you can see we did have a cluster uh, for a few, for about a month where numbers were highly elevated, but they have gotten back down to a way more normal thing. And that has to do, in my opinion, with vaccinations, with our practicing our social distancing and hand hygiene and wearing masks. All that now has lowered that and tempered it down to a more uh, plausible number. So I think those things are very exciting. On the benefit side too, is good things are happening as well, right? So uh, you're able as youth to go out, play sports if you want to. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, being able to go outside, enjoy the wonderful air that we have, the natural resources that we have. You're able to go to different restaurants now, both inside and outside. So there's more normalcy. You can go to the movie theater on Bank Street. So we're seeing more and more normalcy, which is better for all of our residents, puts us on a better me mental health frame of mind. And I think that's great for our community. Yeah, so it sounds like you're describing that there's been almost a, a recovery, both like socially, um, seeing that you know cases aren't as high as they were. So it seems like things are getting better. What do you think the mental recovery has been like for people? Obviously, the pandemic was a traumatic event, I think it could be described as. How do you think people are healing emotionally so right that now? Is a that is a fabulous question. And it's one we posed uh, to uh, our group. I have a... Uh, COVID coronavirus task force, where I have uh, the superintendent, I have all of our department heads, police force, firemen, um, I have our nonprofits, our ambulance, all of our health. We all come together and we did this since the beginning of COVID. What do we look at? What do we see? So the first is kind of a triage, right? So we had the infection. We didn't know how to really treat it in the hospitals. We didn't know how all that stuff works. So immediately, uh, the governor put in executive orders. Uh, I also added to some of those orders as well. Uh, as you saw, some of our parks became closed to only New Milford residents. We closed off some access to some parts of the river. All this stuff trying to mitigate it. So we were in, we were in that process. Now we're kind of in the second phase, which is the intermediate phase. I kind, of, I kind of look at it that way. So like you said, we're coming back to a more normal thing. But one thing we all agree upon, and that is the mental health that's really going to be here for quite some time, the issues. So if we're gonna talk about teens, so uh, that is the isolation that you've had because a lot have been remote learning for quite some time, haven't been able to go to friends' houses for fear of COVID, right? Haven't been able to do sports or extracurricular activities. So we see that. So what I did was I asked Jason, right? here at the youth agency and the youth agency team and the park and rec team, alongside the social workers at Scattacoke and at the high school, let's come up with a formula, let's come up with some things that we can do to address this. And we're coming up with some of that stuff. For instance, a therapeutic model here at the youth agency, more interaction with our school partners, all more things to do through park and rec and the youth agency so our, so our kids can be more involved. So we want to be very hands-on and very proactive because this is going to be something that we're going to be facing for a very long time because this uh, mentally uh, is very, it's still going on, is a very challenging time. And not only for our teens, but for our adults too. Job loss, uh, family situations, people were together for a long, long time. And, you know, if you have a sibling or brother and sister, you know, you've been together for a long time, 
uh, you know, I had three brothers, right? Mm-hmm. There comes a time where, you know what I mean, you want to have your space. Same. So all those things we're looking to address. So that's a great question. So I'm just wondering, if this isn't the case, then might I make it as a suggestion, do you have any licensed psychologists, psychiatrists, and therapists that you're working with? Great question, and the answer is we do. Awesome. So that's a wonderful question. Uh, actually, uh, Jason is putting in a new program here at the youth agency, mm-hmm. a therapeutic model there, also in our coronavirus task force, uh, and opioid task force as well, too. We do have some professionals that are in there that give us some more guidance, and we're going to continue to work with that as well as all of the school counselors that also have that, and we also work with our social services department and our senior center, and they're trained uh, in some of those professions as well. Yeah, that's awesome because a lot of times people struggle to get in contact with therapists and psychiatrists. It's very expensive. It's kind of difficult because of the waiting lists. So the fact that you're considering having these therapeutic models put in place all around the town, I think that's amazing. I think that's really going to help our progress. And I'm going to give you guys breaking news here at the podcast. Oh, okay. an exclusive. So one of the things that we are looking at is actually partnering up with a company that has developed an app. So on this app, you're going to be able to access certain resources for mental health, and the cost will be extremely minimal. And so that goal is to help, we wanna help everybody. So one of the things that I've talked about is, that I love about our town, is our town is a safe town. So first people say safe, they're thinking of physical safety right away, right? Mm -hmm. We wanna make sure everyone is safe, and safe has a lot of a lot of things besides just the connotation of physical. It's also mental. It's also being involved in the community and feeling welcomed. We want to know that everybody, you come from the best town in the USA, we want to make sure you know you're a partner and a resident of the best town in the USA. Yeah, we're a community. Absolutely. And that's really important. You know, we were mentioning that we're going to have a long road ahead of us. I think the fact that you're focusing so much, as I mentioned, this humanitarian aspect, and not only physical, but mental, the mental part tends to get kind of thrown under the bus. But by focusing on both of those, that long road, I think that we're going to be going along it a lot faster than some other towns in the USA. We really are one of the best towns. We are, absolutely. And what else is very uh, amazing that I get to see, what kind of one of my, we talked about in the very beginning, is being mayor. I get to see some of the wonderful, I call them blessings that we have. So we have people that give their volunteerism here that we couldn't pay for with a regular job. I mean, they're way high up jobs, right? That they make tremendous amounts of money and they come over and they're like, you know what, I will help you. I'll I'll help the town, I'll do it for free. I'm like, wow, seeing people that are retired or young people like yourself that are coming in and volunteering. When you take those like little building blocks of volunteering, of helping one another, it just continues to move the town forward. And that's why this place is so special. Right, so when you mentioned the app, my only concern with the resources being accessible, uh, especially through the app, I don't know how many people in our community are impoverished or homeless exactly, but how are people that don't have phones going to access these resources? Fabulous question. So if they don't have the availability to access those, we have access points, so for instance, over here at the uh, social services, we have the availability right then and there to uh, input that data and to look at that data. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you didn't have one, you could come to town hall mm-hmm. and we would help you. So it's all about helping one another. Mm-hmm. And what's great about our social services team 
is they look at a holistic approach, not just the approach of, okay, um, you're looking at this particular, maybe a mental health service. Well, we want to know more. So we want to help you more. Okay, if you need this service, how's everything at home? Do you have the, do you have food in the freezer? Do you have food in the refrigerator? If you don't, well, we have a wonderful food bank here. Yeah. Do you need assistance with your, with your, ele with your electricity? We're going to try and help you with an application. And now through the federal government, for those in need, there's assistance with broadband where they can get reduction in that. So we're trying to educate our population too to give them every advantage that they can to succeed. Yeah, if you ensure, if you get in contact with the people at Loaves and Fishes or any other soup kitchen food bank in the area and have them advertise these um, resources to everybody, I think that definitely it's going to help because Again, if somebody doesn't have access to a phone, a Twitter announcement or a digital yeah. announcement won't do anything for them. And here's something the town did as well. Uh, when we were looking at all these needs, and this is something we've been looking at even pre-COVID, right? So one of the things we looked at is how can we help, we look strategy-wise, for opioids. So we're like, okay, if someone is, is overdosed, what can we do to help them? One thing we learned is when somebody has been overdosed, and they've been hit with Narcan, right? So they wake up. The first thing they want to do, because all the drugs are taken out of their system, is they want to go get high again, right? So they're at the hospital. Hospital says, well, according to the hospital now, you're, you're okay. You, you're, not, you're not overdosed, so what do you want to do? So a lot of times it's like, well, I want to go get more drugs, so they're going to get out. Mm -hmm. We created a new position that we've housed within the police department. And a gentleman named Justin Colmer does that. And what Justin's job is, right, is to be right there and to say, what services do you need? Do you need a bed? We're going to get it for you. When I first became mayor, homelessness, we had over 30-some people, right, that lived right, right across the street from the brick house, kind of, in back of Starbucks, that whole wooded area. There was an encampment in there. So I walked up there, saw what was going on. Very dangerous, right? People were in there in the wintertime. It's freezing. There's no sanitation there. Not good, right? So I said, what can we do? Justin, what can we do? How can we make this better for people? So I'm happy to announce. You know how many people are in that encampment right now? Wow. Zero. Wow. You know how many homeless we have in New Milford right now? Zero. Wow. Because we look at things proactively, we're looking at trying to assist people and get them. We find that if you can attack it immediately and get them resources immediately, the availability for them to to uh, to have success is much greater than just kind of putting your head in the sand and saying, "Oh, that's really not happening." We're able to help immediately, so that's uh, been a really big benefit. So what you, exactly did you do? Did you get them jobs? Did you get them housing? Yep. So what Justin would do is he'd come in and we would assess the situation. So he'd first do an assessment. Okay, uh, does this particular person need mental health? Is that kind of where they are? Hmm. Is it a job loss? Is it structural? And then we provide the assistance. Okay, you're homeless. Well, let's get you housed because that's the first thing we want to do. So then we partner with different entities, whether it be Catholic charities, whether it be... Uh, landlords that uh, do uh, assisted rentals we all look at that and we try and get them a voucher trying to get them housed that's the number one thing while we're doing that we want to make sure that they have food to eat because that's important for everybody so we can do that through the uh, the food bank that we have here loaves and fishes mm -hmm. camellas covered if they're a senior 
through the senior center. So that's all kind of things we're doing. And then we assess that. And if they are capable to get a job, we're going to try and get them a job, get them additional training, because we're firm believers, right, that we just don't want to give you a hand out. We want to give you a hand up and give you a chance to be successful and to be able to be self-sustaining for yourself. Because that brings a lot of pride, right? So it's all about caring. So I said kind of in the beginning, as we talked about before, caring and safe. That's what we want this community to be. Yeah, I did want to mention when you mess it, uh, you mentioned Justin Colmer. We did do a podcast with him. That yeah. was actually my first um, when I first started working here, and I thought it was great having a position like that where someone is specifically dealing with those situations. And I think it helps too, um, knowing it's someone outside of the police too. It's not always a police officer who's there Absolutely. to arrest you. It's someone who's there to help. You know, they want to see you get out of these situations. And we talked about that on our other podcast. So if people listening want to go check that out, but expanding that position, um, you know, training more people in that, because I think that's something that we've benefited benefited from as a town, and I think other towns would benefit as well. Absolutely, and it's, it's we've had other towns now look to model what we're doing. They want to know, geez, how did New Milford, why did you guys do that? How did you come up with These are some very successful numbers, so I feel really proud that we are kind of leading the charge and being proactive in that respect, so that's awesome. I was just wondering, do you think that it would be feasible for us to somehow raise money for people who wind up in the ER because of drug abuse, considering um, mental health is kind of worsened for a lot of people and they might turn to that in order to cope? Because I've found that, just through personal research, people who are impoverished or struggling economically in general are more susceptible to drug abuse. If they overdose and wind up in the ER, they might struggle to actually pay for that treatment and wind up in medical debt? I know that fabulous question. I know that there's income-based uh, grant opportunities. So if you go to the hospital and you have no money, uh, normally what they do is they have a consultant or someone from the hospital, they interview you, and then they kind of absolve that debt. If you can't afford it, they're going to look to absolve it. But one of the things that you can do, right, is we have a fund called the Sustainability Fund. And one of the things we're gonna be doing with our Sustainability Fund, when we first set it up, one of the things we thought of as we're looking at it as a triage, right, from last year is, we were expecting lots of job losses. So we were expecting people and also first responders, because here, our firemen, our ambulance, are mainly, they're volunteers, they're us. So our thought was, well, geez, if one of them get COVID, and they go out of work. Are they going to be able to pay for their food? Are they going to be able to pay for their groceries? So we set up this food fund. I'm not going to wood here, right? For those on the radio, I'm not going to wood. We didn't have that many people in those positions to really tap that fund. So now we're looking at it and say, okay, we have this fund. What can we do with that fund? So one of the things that we are looking at is exactly what you're talking about. Being able to have someone that may have an, an issue as far as a mental health issue or a health issue. And we can't work with the partners within the healthcare and maybe need a few dollars to help cover that, sustainable that. That's something that we're looking to do. That would be amazing because going back to that concept of both physical and mental health, it would be, I think, very helpful if we took that sustainability fund and also applied it to mental health treatment because therapy, psychiatry, getting proper medication for your mental conditions, very expensive, especially Absolutely. if the um, medication isn't a generic. 
So I think that if we could take the sustainability fund, apply it to both physical and mental, and maybe if the community, like if we advertised it as something the community can contribute more to, because I think a lot of people would be willing to help because it would not only benefit them, they're ever in a difficult situation, but the people around them. Outstanding. I love what you're what you're saying. And stay tuned for that because that's gonna be rolling out in June. Really? Absolutely. That's amazing. So you guys are already uh, you know <laughs> you guys are already on top of it. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. It's just it's it really just makes me feel so much more optimistic for the future knowing that we're we care for everybody. We wanna help everybody. To me, this what signifies a thriving community. What signifies what I think, what our, why I really love our community, is that you can see how we try as a community to help one another. You can see it when uh, we ask for food donations, right? Tremendous amount of people donated food to social services for our food bank. We also started last year. We were looking at the triage for COVID to start Victory Gardens. So Victory Gardens back in World War II were created when there were shortages, rationing. So neighbor would help neighbor. They'd grow vegetables, tomatoes, whatever. And whatever they, did, they had that was extra from their family, they would then give to their neighbor so that everybody could try and be sustaining. So we were able to raise from uh, talking to Havana, not only the, we had 43 Victory Gardens that we knew about, right? We had businesses that helped those starting gardens. We gave seedlings out. And we raised an additional 400 pounds of food for the uh, community food bank. On top of that, how many here know that we, the town, owns Sullivan Farms? Raise your hand. Okay. Sullivan Farms, for those on the radio, is right up on Route 202, that pretty red barn building, right? Mm -hmm. So Mark Mankin, I'm sure you guys know Mark, he runs Sullivan Farms with a bunch of uh, uh, our youth up there as well. We raised over one and a half tons of food for the food bank. Wow. I asked Mark this year, we're going to double that production. And the reason being is to help those in need. So it's putting those assets together and working as a team, uh, I think, you know, uh, just makes uh, an additional special place that we have here. I think it's amazing that we have all these resources that we're utilizing in the town a lot that I didn't even know about raising that much food is incredible yeah. and I just I think I want to place emphasis on I think all of us as teens here can say that mental health is really one of the biggest things that we've struggled with especially during this pandemic teenagers as it is it's a common thing that people struggle with anxiety and depression we see it too much and all this certainly doesn't help do you think that with all the resources that are out there do you actually see teens going and utilizing these resources, seeking out that help themselves? Because even though it's out there, I think sometimes I, you know, I don't hear about them a lot. I, I can't say that any of my friends have told me that they use these sources. Do you see as the mayor these resources being used by young adults? So I think we need to do a much better job, and we will be, on getting it out there first to feel as a teen to feel comfortable enough to ask for the service, to know that it is not uh, something that you should feel bad about. It's not something you should have feel that it's gonna create a black mark. It's something that you're doing to be well. It's something that you're doing to feel better about. And we as a town need to do better to get the information to our youth 
so they can access these resources and that we're working on doing and also come up with this creative programming which we're doing so that we have those uh, uh, that ability because as I said in the very beginning this isn't something we think is going to go away over the summertime and then here we go back into school and everybody's fine we think this is going to be something that's going to be lasting for a very long time and we want to make sure that we have these sustainable programs in place mm -hmm. to help not only your generation right now but those that are underneath you guys younger they're going to be growing up that have gone through the same thing as you guys are going through as teens right now yeah how do you think mentioning school how do you think all this is affecting teens going back to school with mental health you know being on a decline right now when we the high school just started going back full-time what two weeks ago mm -hmm. um yeah. how do you think that the mental health impacts have affected kids going back to school. Do we see a lot of people staying home or is a good percentage back so in the So in talking with our superintendent, and I don't know the exact percentage, so if I'm off a few percent, I apologize <laughs> to those listening, but I know it was in for the high school. I believe it was in the high 80% or maybe even 90% of the kids that are back in school. So they're back going f uh, five days full time. I believe it's a little lower as the grades are a little lower. But the good news is, is through the hard work of the superintendent and the Board of Education, our teachers, right? And you, we gotta look at them, right? So teachers last year, you're teaching in class, you've prepared all year long, and now all of a sudden here comes COVID. And we've all had to make changes. And now they're saying, well, what you did now, gotta change it. So we gotta go on the computer. And for you young students, oh, by the way, Guys, we're going to school five days a week. Ah, we're going to stop that. And now you guys got to learn on the computer. So it was a tremendous uh, curve, learning curve. And because of that curve, right, we've seen the, the anxiety, the depression, the isolation. Now we're going back to change again, right? So a lot of people were either fully remote or through the hybrid. Now all of a sudden you're getting thrown back into, oh, wait a minute, not Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, you got three more days where you're home. You know, and vice versa, depending on which uh, cohort you're in. Now it's, oh, you guys are back five days. That's a big change. Yeah. That can cause additional pressure, additional, you know, emotions, isolation. So we're all very cognizant of that, and we're going to be working towards providing services for that. Where we are now is we want to get better and better and make sure we get that information out mm -hmm. to the youth. And hopefully you guys can be ambassadors for us with that as well about saying it's okay if you need help it's okay it's okay to talk to somebody uh talk if you can't talk to mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or a friend it's okay it's okay to come out talk to someone from the youth agency uh talk to your school counselor your friend um whatever you can do uh to begin that that thought and that process so how are youth in homeschooling doing? So youth in homeschooling are experiencing the same thing as they are uh, when people are going to school. So some homeschooling, they had groups of homeschooling uh, people that would group together. And through COVID, COVID especially during the, the beginning of COVID, had a very hard time because they were being isolated. They're also isolated from different parts of, of, of uh, curriculums that they would have to do, whether it be going out and doing uh, uh, something uh, within a museum or something where we were in lockdown, so it made it difficult for them too. 
good part about the homeschooling though as well was that they had the homeschool person whether it was mom dad or uncle or somebody that was there they kind of knew and that kind of uh, uh, way that they learn so it's kind of a little bit of a benefit but they struggle just as people that went to either uh, public school or also private school as well it's a great question okay. do you think that the adjustment so far has been what was expected going back I mean I know that plans changed a lot going back to school we didn't really know where things were going but do you think with the plan that we have that students have been adjusting okay teachers have been even you know thinking about for the future do you think that um, when we go back in the fall that we'll be better prepared after having this year I think uh, to answer your, your question first last to first right I think we are way more prepared than we were when COVID first hit because we didn't know uh, how this interacted with people. We didn't know once someone got COVID, you know, how sick would they be? How could we treat them once they got to the hospital? We now have drugs that we can use if someone goes into the hospital to really help them. We have vaccinations now to stop the spread. We also have protocols put in place at the high school, at Saranoval, at Scattacoke, at both of the elementary schools on how we do this. I think we're way more prepared for that with that being said i am a firm believer in the resiliency of human beings and that we can bounce back from just about anything and i can see the resiliency in how we do things just in in covid right now also to a way uh lesser extent but when we have these big storms that come in and knock out electricity knock out power seeing how we how we go about planning and going through those type of emergency situations and bringing us back on the grid, bringing us back to things. So I see the resiliency of human beings, uh, you know, really helping us as we move through. And I can't give you guys as teens credit enough because you're going through something that hasn't happened in over 100 years. And it's truly amazing to watch you guys go through this. Truly amazing, you know? Uh, biggest thing when I was a kid, now I'm old, right? <laughs> biggest thing when I was a kid, right, was, uh, you know, what are you gonna have for lunch? You know, uh, you know what's, what are you gonna be doing after school, hanging out with your friends? I mean, we didn't have these, a life or death pandemic that could affect us or our parents or our grandparents. We didn't have schools shut down, businesses shut down. And I think on the whole, I just can't applaud you guys enough, especially in our town, right? Do you think after COVID is over, will things really ever go back to how it was before, or will things still be slightly different? I think that you will see some of the successes that we took uh, that will stay on for permanently, I think. Mm -hmm. And some of those things, for instance, is I think in our mind frame, you know, I'm not feeling well today. I got a sore throat pre-COVID, right? Mom and dad would be like, you know what? I'm going to school. You know, we're just going to go. I think people are going to be a little more hesitant now about just going somewhere, not feeling well. So I think you're going to have that that's going to be helpful for us in all sorts of things, whether it's the flu, colds. All right, now flus are at super all-time low. Why? Because we've done these things. I also think, myself, because of what's called pent-up demand. That's because the demand that's been there for 
uh, going out to the movies or going to the restaurants or buying clothes, right? Because everybody's staying home, you don't need new clothes, has been pent up. I think that is going to unleash in the next year and a half. So you're going to see this economy take off like you guys haven't seen. It's going to be unbelievable. So I think that's going to be great things for all of us. So I think that's going to be wonderful. And I think if we can manage that right and do it in the right way, in a thoughtful way, making sure that we take care of those in need, making sure that we don't leave anybody dragging behind and we all work together, I think this is going to be a great opportunity to do even better than we did before. Yeah, that's what I was thinking going into this. We don't necessarily need a flat-out return to normalcy. We need some sort of normal, but we need to improve that normal. Absolutely. And the fact that now we have these ideas for resources and like more of an emphasis on these sustainability funds, everything like that, I think that moving forward, we're going to be even better off than we were in the past. Absolutely. Our normal is going to be better than it ever has been. And one of the things uh, uh, we also are looking at when we're looking at the long-term thing is that the difference between someone that has long-term wealth, the difference between those that don't, right, is that they don't invest, okay? They don't have, for whatever reason, they don't have a pension or they don't have a 401k or they don't know how to budget. One of the things is if you've seen here in John Pettibone, before COVID, we developed the computer lab that's over there. It's got, I don't know, 20 computers that we redid because what we're going to start doing is financial literacy. So we're going to have people come in and learn how to budget, learn what it means to save, look at all those things so that you can build some wealth. By building that, that's going to help you and your family as you, as you succeed. So that's more of a long-term strategy, right, as we talked about before. So that's part of our SAFE initiative. We want to be able to help everyone in all sorts of different ways right and that financial literacy course it'll be open to all ages absolutely amazing that's amazing i wanted to ask you quickly almost you know as a parent um i feel like amongst teens i feel like the stigma around mental health has sort of changed i feel like we talk about it more there's more of us trying to advocate for mental health getting that help but do you think that parents have an understanding of what it means when their child is going through, whether it's depression, anxiety? Because I think a lot of times it's hard for us teens to explain exactly what we're going through, um, especially with the pandemic. We were sort of talking about how even the loss of things like sports, proms, other celebrations, like those have impacted us a lot because those are big moments in our teenage years that you know you think about since you're a kid. Um, you know, parents are always telling you, oh, you know, your teenage years are going to be great. And suddenly all of that kind of disappeared and we couldn't do a lot of those things. Do you think that parents have enough of an understanding of what it means when uh, teens and their children are going through these mental health um, issues? I think uh, as in a lot of things, I think there's some parents that are very attuned to mental health and uh, look at immediacy for resources and everything. And I think there are other parents that are just like, okay. This is something that, you know, you experience in your, you know, your mid-teens to late-teens and it will pass. I think it's the role of us now, everyone, to really create the awareness. So I think we need to be way more aware and providing that education for parents. I know the youth agency has done some wonderful seminars and continue to do so. 
as we create that awareness so parents say, okay, as it would be whether uh, a child vapes or whether a child has a, me a mental illness, right? It's knowing immediate, here's a sign, let's see about getting your resources. Because like with anything, the quicker we can get that resource to the need, the more successful it becomes. Right, so that's excellent. Do you think that we could have dedicated seminars not only to parents on how to treat mentally health children, but for teachers and administration, just dedicated to how they should treat students with mental illness or mental problems in general, difficulties with functioning in the classroom? Because I actually, I, when I, I interviewed my psychology teacher for a different podcast, and I remember her saying that there's not a lot of education for teachers and administration on how to treat people with mental illness. Perhaps we could combat that by, you know, having some constructive classes on it, having something to spread awareness to how teens should be treated specifically in that setting because while school isn't the entirety of this discussion, we spend a lot of our time in school. So I think it's important for us to make school a safer place. So I think that, that is an absolutely outstanding observation and question. Now as mayor, um, there's the separation between the town itself, right, the operations, and due to state statute, the Board of Education and the superintendents. So there's kind of a firewall built there. Now what I can do, because I sit on the Board of Education, not as a voting member, right, but, they, but as an ad hoc member. I mean, I can go and I can listen and ask questions, I just can't vote. But I have bi-weekly, sometimes three, four times a week, conversations with Superintendent DeCorpo, mm -hmm. and obviously with our Chairman of the Board of Education, Wendy Fallenbach. Mm -hmm. I am going to take your recommendation to them mm -hmm. and ask them to see what they can do. I think that is yeah. just a wonderful observation, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I can't promise anything, but I can definitely tell you I will be talking to them, and right. let's see what, see what happens. I think it would help maybe if you got a message out to the community. I remember I was in the ESS program, if you remember the challenges with that, and parents and teachers were able to go to the Board of Education and appeal to them. I think that since I think you have to have some sort of a hands-off approach, as you mentioned, if we have parents come and talk about their experiences and teachers talk about their experiences, that will make it a lot more easy, like easier for the Board of Education to see what we need. Well, the thing I like is what you just said, is you're empowering those professionals that are already there. So you're adding a different empowerment. Mm -hmm. So one of the things in a different way, when I was at the town, when I came into the town, I said, what kind of training do we have as a town? Town side, not the Board of Ed side. Do we have training on sexual harassment? Do we have training on cybersecurity? Do we have training on workplace bullying? You know what my, the answer to me was? No. no. So I immediately said, we are going to have that. So our employees, right, there's a whole bunch of courses they take throughout the year, right? And because we instituted this, we're one of the first municipalities to ever do this, we won an award. So we were able to help retrain, right, uh, our workforce on those important issues. And we continue to fine tune that. So. I will definitely bring that to the superintendent. I think that's a, a, a very, very good suggestion. Yeah, it'll give everybody in the community a voice. We'll have better representation, and that will bring that tight-knit,
comfortable, safe feeling out for everybody. And one thing I can definitely tell you, because I do interact with them, they want to hear from people, mm -hmm. and they want to do the right thing. They want to be helpful. So I think this is all positive. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's piggybacking off of that um, idea of the community having a voice? Are there platforms for youth to speak out on? I mean, obviously we have our podcast here at the youth agency that we talk a lot about a lot of things, but I think it would also be helpful for students to be able to share things that they're going through with whether um, it's the Board of Ed or Town Hall in, in some way, so that way adults are seeing um, the teen perspective from a teen's perspective. I think it's hard sometimes for adults to understand exactly everything that we're going through. So what kinds of platforms are there for students to so speak up? A few platforms. First of all, the youth agency here has your leadership council. Am I calling it correctly? Mm -hmm. So you can advocate or be on that. I know I've been uh, invited to a few, which I appreciate to hear, so that's awesome. Uh, as a town, you can also go to our town council meetings, right? So you can speak at what's called public participation. So you can go up if there's an issue you feel strongly about, right? You can talk about it. Or you can call the mayor's office. Like, I want to speak to Mayor Pete. You're like, hey, Mayor Pete, I got an issue. This is what it is, because I hear it all the time. Whether it's somebody's road, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody's got chickens on their yard and the chickens are moving to the other person's yard and they want to figure out a way to solve that problem. Or a bigger problem when we're talking about roofs that need to get replaced. It runs the gambit. But we want to hear from you guys. Absolutely. I'm sure the Board of Education feels the same way. You can go to a Board of Education meeting and speak at public participation there. You can email uh, the superintendent and talk to her or you can talk to your school principal uh, any way uh, to get out and uh, you know I think those are really the the big vehicles we and we I guess to the point I'm trying to get is we want to hear from you we want to hear what you have to say it's very very important yeah speaking as like speaking as somebody who has personal experience with um, knowing the process with how you need to appeal to the Board of Education I feel like it's like I feel like people know on a more widespread level that parents and teachers can appeal, but as you mentioned, students can go and appeal, Absolutely. write up a speech, and uh, say their own experiences. And I think that in terms of the Board of Education, that is pivotal because parents and teachers have their own perspective. Um, maybe I might be digressing here a little bit, but I, when I made my podcast talking about mental health in school, I also interviewed students and I think that that was vital to my narrative because we are a separate demographic we have separate experiences and absolutely and I think that if we advertise the fact that students are able to go and voice their opinions because I did not know I could do that until last year we would definitely improve the quality of life for us because again it's such a major part of our lives we go to school six hours a day not including the time you have to stay after for extra work five days a week. And I think that it would be so important for us to know that we can speak up. Absolutely, I, uh, I implore you to definitely do exactly what you say. Uh, to go in, to voice your opinion, and like I said, there are those avenues to do that. And uh, I know Jason has been at the forefront, our, our youth agency director, to really create empowerment opportunities for our youth. So I think that's uh, 
wonderful. It's amazing. So I guess since we're getting close to the end here, um, we, I mean, we've been asking you a lot of questions, but do you have any questions for us? I have a question for you guys. All right. What are the three top issues that you think are facing teens? Let's go around in a circle. Sure. Yeah, that works. So would you like to start with? Um, well, definitely not feeling that you can't talk to adults and feeling that, like, I'm I'm different from everyone else when really like you know you're not, and then um, mental health and and I guess uh, just relationships with ev ev with like with family and friends and all of that. Excellent. So personally, I really liked what you said, uh, Gianna said um, about teachers and teaching them about mental health so they could help students. That that was a great idea that we could definitely work with. Yeah, I definitely think mental health um, is the biggest one, and under that umbrella, it's teaching it in schools, um, you know, getting teachers to talk about it more, students to talk about it more. I also think getting parents um, to understand, too, I think that that is difficult sometimes. You know, it's easy to talk about it with your friends sometimes, but, you know, when it actually comes to talking to your parents, it's not as easy. And then I also think getting the resources out there, um, you know, encouraging people to use them, you know, if they're out there, getting more of those resources so that more people can access them. I really think that those are the biggest things because, like you said, this is going to be a long-term thing, so it's something we have to start addressing now so that it doesn't get out of hand. Mm, I agree. I was going to say resources for mental health as well because we have a lot of things in school and in the community that could be utilized, but we really have no idea how to utilize them or where to go for them. And I think it's also how adults deal with how we're feeling. Um, kind of the understanding of mental health in teens because it is very different um, with us than it is for adults, especially because we're not really sure what's going on. So I think that would be important. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with uh, mental health being one of the biggest problems and resources for it, but uh, for me, just like the change in schooling sort of, it was, uh, had a big it, um, effect on my grades because just the difference in school, it made my grades, uh, made it harder for me to learn and harder to focus on school and I sort of dropped my grades a lot. So I do actually have three suggestions and they are mostly going to center around school because I've had very uh, intense experiences with the schooling system. I think that we should have an easier access to accommodations such as 504s and IEPs. It shouldn't be such a hassle to get them. They're so important. Yeah. And I think that going forward, teachers should always log on to either Google Meet or Zoom because it's very difficult to access homebound tutoring. It's costly. It's a giant hassle. I think that students being able to stay home sick or if they're having a very bad mental health day and just log on and listen and participate that way, it would not only be like effective in terms of costs, but it would also lower rates of absence, chronic absenteeism in general. I think things like that would really improve the experience in the um, public school system and, or private school system. And I think that we should also have more flexibility in like terms of the five of and IEPs the flexibility in late assignments being turned in according to what accommodation somebody needs and also more flexibility with grading guidelines for the teachers for the sake of their mental health. I'm not sure how much say you have in those things, but I think that we could definitely bring them to the Board of Ed at the very least. 
I can, uh, what I can do is uh, pass along your recommendations to them. As I said before, I really don't have so much of a say there. Mm -hmm. But what you guys are all saying, uh, you know, I can't thank you enough for your input, especially when it comes to mental health and what we can do on the town side, right? So it's through youth agency, through uh, our park and rec team, through our interaction with our social services. And as I said, we are talking and partnering with the Board of Education and the social workers on that side too. So this is all great information for me that I can take back. And uh, I can't thank you enough for a couple of things. First, inviting me to your podcast. Of course. And second, for these wonderful questions. These are outstanding questions. And for giving me your input uh, as well. And I think that's what's great, is when we can collaboratively look at things and talk about things, it just makes it an opportunity to make it better. Yeah, and I'd like to thank you not only for coming here, but for coming here and telling us how we can use our voice, what resources we have. I think that I've learned a lot today just by sitting here about what I can do to help the community and what I can do to help myself and my family. So again, I'm really appreciative of that. I hope anybody who listens to this podcast um, benefits from that information. I think that they will. And I just think that this was a fantastic opportunity. I'm glad I could be a guest host. Thank you. Thank you for Thank being you. here. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to today's guest for sharing their time and knowledge with us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this month's podcast. To find the resources mentioned in our discussion, check out the description box. This podcast series is produced by YA Media, where our goal is to serve our community through education, communication, and awareness. Stay tuned for more upcoming projects.